I'll sure do that. Well, good morning, church. You know what I need if I'm going to come up here? I need a Bible. This is, let me, let me get my Bible. I've been running around here like crazy. There it is. I got a Bible. And I hope you'll take yours and find Ephesians 4, would you? And that's where we'll start this morning. Thank you guys for getting me a little bit of a smaller lectern podium here. I came in last night and I said, I can't see the crowd. I, I, I was swallowed. I'm too skinny for this. But uh, thank you guys for getting me a little bit smaller podium. I, uh, I'm, I want you to meet my family. And uh, my son Jacob is right over here. And uh, so you guys can uh, meet Jacob. He, uh, he's a good kid. And I uh, appreciate Jacob so much. And uh, I think I got a picture up here for you. There they are. There's the whole family. My wife's a little under the weather this morning, maybe in the morning service. But uh, there's uh, my wife and, and I, we just celebrated 25 years in August and three of our kids are out of the house. There's Abigail on the end. She just got engaged last week and uh, so we got a wedding coming in 19. That's a new, new step for us. How many of you already done that? Have you already done that? A lot of you. So that's new for us. And then I have Joshua David right there. He's the one in the glasses next to his uh, older sister. And Joshua's in love. He should be getting engaged sometime in the next couple of months. So I'll have two weddings in 19. And Matthew right there is a freshman in Bible college, and he thinks he's getting married in 19. <laughs> just for the record, he's not, just so you all know. And, uh, but he wants to really badly. But uh, that's, uh, that's my older three. They're all in California. They went to a West Coast Baptist College. Abigail graduated from there. Her hus husband-to-be is a professor at the college. And then my Joshua is studying for the ministry, praying about the next step. He graduates in May. And Matthew there, my taller one, he's not sure what he's going to do. He wants to own a Chick-fil-A. And he loves working. He worked for Chick-fil-A. Now he wants to own one. And so you know he loves the Lord, don't you? He loves the Lord if he wants to own a Chick-fil-A. But then here's Jacob. Jacob is 15. He's my right-hand man right now. You'll see our book table in the lobby. I'll tell you more about it as the week goes on. And Jacob's your man. And uh, he'll, he'll answer any questions you have. He, he'll take your money. If you do money, if you don't do money, he'll take your check. If you don't do either one, he'll take your credit card. If you have a well-behaved child, he might barter with you. And uh, so consider that. That'll be out there in the lobby. And uh, then Charity Noel's in Sunday school. There's Charity. She, uh, she'll be 10 years old next week. And so uh, we are very, very blessed. I want to take the Sunday school hour. I look... I've been praying about being with you. I know you all don't know me real well, and, and I, I've met some of you at uh, the prayer advances. I met some of you at camp, some of your teenagers, and others of you came to camp. But uh, I'm going to be preaching today. Uh, I'm going to kick off the family revival. Figure if it's a family revival, I'm going to talk to you about your family. Everybody I know has one. Did you know that? Uh, some are dysfunctional, some are messed up, some are pretty good, and uh, many of us are somewhere in between, aren't we? But I want to talk to you about your family all day today, preach revival messages about your family. I'm going to just talk to you about where do I start? That's a good question, isn't it? Where do you start in having a godly home and a Christian family and a happy marriage? And I can't think of a better place to go to than Ephesians 4. So if you're in Ephesians 4, uh, we're going to read these verses together. I have preached a ton of sermons from these few verses. And I think some of you probably heard me if you've been at prayer advance. I've at least used some of the verses and this is where you start. The Bible says in verse 1, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you're called. All right, now stop right there. Here's Paul. He's writing to me and you. And he says, okay, I want you to do something. I want you to walk worthy of your calling. 
God's called you. So this is Sunday school hours. I would take this for granted perhaps. But I suppose that most of you, if not all of you, would know Christ as your Savior, wouldn't you? Would, you, would that be true of you? Remember when God called you to eternal life? Remember that? I was 15. How old were you when God called you to be saved? Do you remember? Anybody in the last year? Or have you been saved so long you forgot what it was like to be unsaved? Is that true of a lot of you? I was called. I remember the first time God called me. I was in the third grade. I remember it well. It was a revival service. And God spoke to my heart, but I didn't know what to do about it. And nobody told me what to do about it. I just knew God was doing something in my heart. And I didn't know what it was. But looking back at it, what I know now is that God was calling me then to Himself. I remember His voice. You know God speaks, don't you? Someone said, does He speak audibly? You know, like I am. Does He speak audibly? You know, He can. The day they baptized Jesus, He spoke audibly and said, this is my well-beloved Son in whom I, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well-pleased. God can speak audibly. But you want to know something? He typically speaks louder than that. Doesn't He? Because he speaks to the heart. He speaks to your spirit. Man is body, soul, and spirit. He's body. That's what we're looking at each other here. It's our bodies. We're physical. And we're soul. We're emotional as well. Boy, aren't we? <laughs> we have that soul part of us. The emotion where we think and we reason and we evaluate and we get our feelings hurt. But we're also spiritual. A man has a, a spirit nature. God works in our hearts through the spirit nature. I remember God speaking to my spirit and telling me I needed to be saved. You remember that, don't you? That's his calling in your life. I got saved when I was 15. I remember God calling me. And finally, God put a man in my life explained to me, this is what you do. This is how you do it. This is how you get saved. This is what the Bible says. Every person in the world needs somebody in their life who can tell them what they ought to do to be saved. Did I say that right? Every person in the world needs somebody in their life who will tell them what they ought to do in order to be saved. A few months ago, a few years ago now, a little mobile home across the street from us. It wasn't supposed to be there because our, our neighborhood is, is uh, set up to where there's not supposed to be mobile homes. But someone, I, I guess, sneaked it in there. They, they got it in there without it being on the radar. By the time it got on the radar, it was all set up and living in. And uh, then uh, the people that moved into it trashed it. I mean, I didn't know you could destroy a home as badly as they did. And finally, the bank repossessed it. And then the bank spent $70,000 and redid it. <laughs> it's like, it's a mobile home in Hurricane Alley. Why would you do that? Give us one good storm and it's going to go meet Jesus. You know what I mean? And But they spent $70,000, put it on the market for $100,000. Lo and behold, an older couple bought it. Paid cash for it, moved in. Richard and Mary... And I went over and got to know them. We're, we're always trying to get to know our neighbors. And went over and got to know Richard and Mary. She's 86 and he was 70-something and, and a feeble. And he, he, he was a drunk, but he quit drinking. And he, he smokes like a freight train. I mean, all the time, all the time. Their home just smells, you know, like cigarette smoke. And I started working on him. Mary's Pentecostal. You know anybody that's Pentecostal? Mary's Pentecostal. Jimmy Swaggart Pentecostal. Every Sunday morning, she watches Jimmy Swagger and puts her hand on the screen so he'll pray for her. She's serious about it. She's feeble. She can hardly walk. She'll crawl over to that TV. And uh, she told me, her Richard told me, she puts her hand on the screen while Jimmy Swagger prays. She's, she's serious about 
or Pentecostalism. Richard doesn't know the Lord. He's uh, been, you know, in the Navy years ago, worked in the shipyards, just, just a drunk, really a drunk. And I started working on him, and three, three, I think it was three years ago now, he came to church on Christmas Eve Sunday, and I preached the gospel, and Richard got saved. I had to explain it to him. I talked to him at his house. I talked to him in my yard. I preached it at church, and Richard got saved. And what is today? Today's Sunday? Uh, Friday. Friday morning, quite early, my phone rang. I was in South Carolina. I live in Florida. I was in South Carolina, and my phone rang, and I was still in bed. I slept in a little bit Friday morning, and I thought, I'm not going to answer that. I'm not going to answer that. This is my day off. So I didn't even look at it, but then I got thinking, maybe it's something important, you know. I'm awake now. You know what? I'm awake. So I rolled over and picked up my phone. It was Richard and Mary, my neighbors. And, uh, well, I wonder what they want. So she left me a voicemail. I checked the voicemail, and she was wailing. Dave, I need help. So I called her. Mary, what's wrong? She said, I can't get Richard out of bed. So I called our neighbor who's a nurse, and I said, you got to get over there and check on that. And, and sure enough, Friday morning in his sleep, Richard stepped into eternity. And i got to tell you, when my neighbor called and said, he's gone, he's, he's, he's passed, you know, I sure am glad I told him. Sure I'm glad I took the time to go over there and tell him about Jesus. Now, that's a calling, you know. God calls you to be saved, and he calls you to tell others how to be saved. Are you all with me on verse 1? That's verse 1. And, and then God calls us to live for him. How many of you are already saved? Are you? Let me see your hand if you're saved. All right, now, if you're on your way to heaven, God calls you to live for him, to be the Christian you ought to be. You follow me on that? To, to, to know him and live for him and be what you ought to be. And here's why I link these verses. In verses 2 and 3, he's going to tell us how to get started. So how do I live this Christian life? God's called me to live for him. I could say this morning, since this is a family revival, God's called you to have a successful, happy Christian home. Did you know that? You're, you're, you're a Christian? Then God's called you to have a happy Christian home. He's called you to succeed in your family. Uh, it's one of the hardest tasks given to humanity is to raise a godly family. You ever thought about that? It's the truth. How many of you have children? Can I see your hands? Children? It's a blessing to have children, isn't it? <laughs> Silence. Let me try that again. Maybe your kids are worse than mine. It's a blessing to have children, isn't it? The Bible says it's a heritage of the Lord. I have five. I wanted ten. And we did. We wanted ten. We had three and found out we were outnumbered. Couldn't afford the ones we had. What's a few more? We wanted ten and God didn't give us ten. We had two that were born that, that that had died in the womb, so they, they, they were born stillborn. We had an ectopic pregnancy later, uh, what they call a tubal pregnancy. Many, many of you would be familiar with that terminology, and just appeared, okay, we're done. I guess God's going to give us only five. I love being a parent. And God says to you and me who are parents, He says, you know what? These are my kids. These are mine, and I'm going to give them to you, and I want you to raise them for me. These are my kids. I'll let you raise them. I don't know what your parents are like. My dad's a Tennessean, and he's country. My dad has all these one-liners. Was your dad that way? My dad doesn't talk much, but he has one-liners. My dad would say things like this, that'll learn you. Did you ever hear that from your daddy? Or this was a big one, bet you won't do that again. I heard that one too many times when I was a kid. 
I always got a kick out of my dad. He'd go to Walmart and he'd see a kid out of control. Have you ever gone to Walmart and seen a kid out of control? I watched a wrestling match in a mall in Greenville, South Carolina, Friday afternoon between a mom and a three-year-old. A wrestling match, and I think the three-year-old was winning. My dad would see a kid like that, and my dad would say, you know what, I wish I had about five minutes with that little boy. How many had a dad like mine? Did your dad say that? And I got to thinking one day, I know what he means. The kid needs help and he needs somebody probably, don't be offended by this, he needs somebody probably to spank him real good about once a day, whether he needs it or not. My dad, I know what my dad meant. You know what I mean by that. I know what my dad meant. The kid needs help. I wish I had about five minutes with that kid. But you know, my dad was actually wrong. Because nobody has ever raised a child in five minutes. You can't do it. Takes about 18 years, doesn't it? A Christian family is a massive undertaking. It's not something you do today. It's something you do over 18 or 19 or 20 or 25 or 30 or 35 years. It's a massive undertaking. And, and, and you don't put that on your list and check it off. I'm a list guy. I like to-do lists. Anybody here with me on that? I write things down I've already done just so I can check it off. I'm really bad about it. I love lists. I got them. I don't, I, I like to write them down. I, I love lists. I'm a list maker. But you put parenting on your list. You don't check that one off. You never finish it. They'll be there tomorrow. They move into your life and stay. They hang around. And if you're going to succeed, it's a massive undertaking. But you know what God's plan for your life is? That you succeed. That's God's plan. You say, well, Brother Dave, come on, I'm done raising my children. No, you're not. No, you're not. you got grandchildren in your life. You are responsible. Every person in this room is responsible for three generations. You're responsible for you, for your children, and for your grandchildren. And I can prove that to you biblically. Deuteronomy 6 says, uh, I'm giving you the word of God. I'm paraphrasing. I'm giving you the word of God for you, for your sons, and for your sons' sons. So no parent is done until his grandkids are on the right path. Nobody's done until they're on the right path, till their children are on the right path, and their grandchildren are on the right path. That's, that's why parenting is so hard. You've got to start with you. You know what? Sometimes it's easier to train a child than it is to train yourself to do right. So you can spank a child, but it's hard to spank yourself. You can yell at a child, but not many people will yell at themselves. And if they do, it's kind of weird. You know what I mean by that, don't you? So you're responsible for you. Somebody says, well, I'm single. All right, you need this family revival because you, you are to be on the right path. You're to be on the right path. You say, well, I'm a widower. You need this revival because if you're alive, you still need to be growing and being on the right path. Sometimes, sometimes you get older in our generation, you retire and you're done. I don't help in the nursery anymore. I've done my time. I don't give out tracts anymore. I did my time. I don't make many sacrifices anymore. I've done that. I've paid that price. Let the younger people do it. But if you're older in the room today, you're, sp you're still to be growing and serving the Lord, aren't you? Don't ever stop growing. Don't ever stop advancing. Don't ever stop praying. Don't ever stop giving out tracts. Don't ever stop being a positive part of the church. Don't, don't allow yourself to get old and get cantankerous. Oh, my word, I can't believe they did that. Now, they changed that. Oh, my word, oh, my word, oh, my. Don't, don't spend your life that way. Get off, get off the TV. It'll discourage you. You know the five leading causes of depression? NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, 
Fox News. It's the truth, isn't it? Some of you older folks, bless your heart, you're, you're older and things are pretty well in your life. You're done raising children. You don't have to, you know, put too much effort into it. And you got more time than you've ever had and you're down, discouraged, and grumpy. Because you sit in front of your TV all day and that's your companion. You know, there's young people in this church that need you to take them out for coffee. Have them over for coffee and tell them how to have a better marriage than what they have. You're, you've succeeded. See, God's not done with you. You older, you need this family revival. Are you younger? Then you need this family revival. Are you a boy or girl? You need this family revival. You got to start with you. And then you got to work on your kids. Are you raising children? Then God's called you to succeed. God's called you to succeed. If you're raising children, God wants your home to be happy. He wants your kids to grow up and know Him and love Him and live for Him and serve Him. I'm going to preach to you about that this week, how you can do it. We're talking this morning about where do I start? How, how, where, where, where do I even begin? The Bible's going to lay it out here for us in some very simple terminology. Hey, grandparents, grandparents, fall in love with Jesus in a fresh way in this family conference and have a sweet Sweet spirit in your older years. Be gentle and loving and gracious in your older years. So yeah, but Brother Dave, I, I hurt in places I didn't even realize I existed. I know the older years can have challenges, but aren't you a child of God? Aren't you born again? Don't you know Jesus? Then you ought to have a Christ-like sweet spirit because your grandkids need you. Papa Young, my grandpa, Hugo, was his name. Papa Young was a drunk, moonshiner, coal miner. One of the most mean, angry, brutal men you could have ever known. Brutal. Worse when he was drinking, which was most of the time. Papa Young went to a revival meeting when my dad was an older teen. And in a revival meeting was born again and became one of the most loving, gentle, sweet, kind men I ever met in my entire life. God's grace is able. God's grace is able. Because Papa got saved, my dad got saved. Because my daddy got saved, Dave Young got saved. Because Dave Young got saved, I married a Christian woman. And, and, and God gave us five children and now they're all saved and three of them are in the ministry. All because of a revival took place in the heart of an old man. God's able to help us wherever we are. And he's able to help us to get started. So where do I start? Look in your text again. I'm telling you, you're called. Do you all believe you're called? Amen. Talk to me. Do you all believe you're called? Amen. You're called to be saved. You're called to live the Christian life. You're called to succeed in the Christian home. And so then he tells you how to get started in verses 2 and 3. Watch this. I'm... I'm going to read these two verses together. With all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Two simple little verses. So simple, if you're not careful, you'll overlook them. You can read through Ephesians 4. And that, well, there's what it says. Lowliness, meekness, and um, long-suffering, and forbearing in love, and endeavoring to keep the bond of peace. You can just overlook it. But here's where you start in the Christian life. This is where you start to have a Christian family. All right? Watch it here. Five words in the text. Five words. Long, or, I'm sorry, lowliness. See the word? Lowliness. See the word meekness? This is where you start. Long suffering. That's where you start. 
The last word in verse 2, love. That's where you start. And the last word in verse 3, peace. All right, now let's just uh, look at it. You start with humility. That's the word lowliness. The word lowliness is a picture word in our Bible. It means low. It's a picture of humility. The word literally means humility. How do I get started in having the Christian life and the Christian family that God wants me to have? Ladies and gentlemen, here's where you start. You start with humility. Did you know that there is no salvation without humility? Until you come to God as a sinner, recognizing, you know what, I'm lost and I can't save myself and I, I don't know how to get saved and I'm on the road to hell and God, I can't, but I need you to do what I cannot do. Help! Help! God, help! I need Jesus. Until you come in humility, you can't be saved. And until you come in humility, you can't be sanctified. After you've been saved for a while, you get it figured out, don't you? After you've been saved for a while, I know how to be a Christian. I know how to tithe and sit in my seat and carry my Bible and nod at the right places. I know how to do it. After you've been saved a while, not only do you know how to do it, you get opinions about how to do it. Isn't that true? When you're first saved, you don't have any opinions. You're just happy to know the Lord. You're just thrilled about everything. Everything. Pastor says this, you're like, okay, let's do it. Amen. Praise God. And you're on board. But after you've been saved for a while, after you've been saved for a while, you lose humility. And you know what the opposite of humility is? What is it? Arrogance, or the word simply is pride. What's the very center of the word pride? I, P-R-I-D-E. I is always in the center of pride. And I want to tell you something. A lack of humility will destroy your Christian life and destroy your Christian home. Humility. The Bible says in James 4, I, I preach a lot from James 4 because it's a revival book. The Bible says in James 4, very simply here, he says in verse 6, But God giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Then he says in verse 10, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. You know, life can humiliate you, right? Life can humble you. My daughter would kill me if she knew I was telling this story. My Oldest daughter, when she was a freshman in Bible college, there was a guy on the campus that she thought was really handsome. And uh, he was a good-looking young man, very talented, very, very popular, very well-known. She thought he was handsome. So one day she and a bunch of her friends went to Walmart. And as they walked into Walmart, he actually worked at a little kiosk outside Walmart. I don't know if he sold cell phones or something like that. But he's working outside of Walmart, and she's walking into Walmart with her friends. And she's watching him because he was so handsome. And she's watching him because he caught her attention. She thought he was a nice young man, very handsome. And as she's looking at him and walking into Walmart, she ran absolutely, I mean, just plastered herself into a glass wall that wouldn't move. She missed the door. Boom! Hit the wall. That's humiliating. Life can humble you, can it? You ever been humbled? Life just has a way of humiliating you. It does. Years ago, somebody sent me a video of a young man, and he had a really nice sportster, and one of those hot rods, you know, and Big tires on the back and, and uh, you know, uh, standard transmission, souped-up engine, roared. And they showed this video of this guy and a bunch of girls. A bunch of girls were on the sidewalk watching him back out. And, oh, he's going to show off his hot rod. Puts that baby in reverse. And he backs it out there, you know. And he puts it down in first gear and he pops the clutch and lights it up. 
I mean, smoke's billowing out from under those tires. He's showing off in front of the girls. He overtorqued it. Pulled the rear end right out from under it, the whole axle, and the axle goes bouncing down the road behind him, and his car is like bouncing down the road. I felt sorry for the guy, but it sure humbled him, I bet. All those girls were now howling with laughter at his, his pride, his arrogance. Now, we can chuckle about it when it's a girl walking into a door. You can chuckle about it when it's a guy making an idiot of himself in front of a bunch of girls. It's no laughing matter when humility, a lack of humility, is destroying our homes. See, humility is essential in Christianity. Humility is what leads me to seek God, to say, God, I can't raise these kids. I need help. Humility is what leads me to apologize when I'm wrong in my family. Can I just say it gently? If you're married and you don't remember the last time you had to say, hey, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? you might need revival. Because it might be there's no humility in your life. Pride keeps you from apologizing. Pride stiffens up. Which is why the Bible says God resists the proud. Nope. No blessing from me. No favor from me. Could I, could I say it in Tennessee vernacular? God stiff arms the proud. Stiff arms. No. I won't bless your life. Can't bless pride. It's a horrible sin. Pride destroys. It's focused on me. But if you've got a Christian family, husband, you're to be focused on your wife. Wife, you're to be focused on your husband. Mom and dad, you're to be focused on your children. Children, you're to be focused on your parents. You're to, you're to give. You're to be focused on your siblings if you're a young person. You're to be focused on your, your, your grandchildren if you're a grandparent. We are to focus on others. Humility says, I'll live for you. When I'm wrong, I'll make it right. I won't have arrogance and pride. Humility, a lack of humility raises its voice. Pride raises its voice. Oh, my word, I've had it with you. That's just my pride showing up in irritation. I can't believe you would say that to me. That's just my pride focused on me. Am I, am I doing okay? You're not being offended, are you? We're going to end the revival before it gets started. We need humility in our lives. Y'all looking serious. I'm getting worried. Uh, humility is important. You want to have a godly Christian life and a godly Christian family? You got to start with humility. There's a second word in the text. Maybe I should move on. You start with humility, then you start with gentleness. Do you know what that word meekness means in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2? With all lowliness and meekness. Look it up. You know what the definition of that word is? Gentleness. Do we start at 11, the morning service? So I got to 1045-ish. Okay, so I got, I got time here. Meekness is gentleness. Gentleness. Now, this is amazing. You ought to think about this. Gentleness is essential in living the Christian life and having a Christian home. Gentleness. How y'all doing? Are you uptight, irritated, grouchy, hard to get along with, frustrated, bothered, on edge, quick to retaliate, quick to re respond? Your, your words have an intensity to them. It's just not gentleness. Gentleness is almost a sound. I found it in Philippians chapter 4. In Philippians chapter 4 and verse 5, the Bible says, Let your moderation... Say the word moderation, everybody say it. Moderation and meekness are sister words. 
The Bible says in Ephesians 4 verse 2 that we're to have meekness in our life. In Ephesians 4 and verse 5, he says we're to let our moderation be known unto all men. Now moderation is best described as a sound. Let me show it to you. Here's what it sounds like. Moderation sounds like this. Moderation is... <sighs> Chew on that just a moment. Moderation sounds like this. Got that picture? So what would be the opposite? What would be the opposite of this? What would be the opposite of that? You ever, you ever, you ever been guilty of this? Are, are y'all picking up what I'm laying down? This is the average Christian life in our generation. Oh my word. You go to Walmart, what up? how do people treat their children? I brought you in this world, I will take you out. My grandpa lives in Los Angeles, or he did, he's not there now. But my grandpa lived in Los Angeles, I'm not to visit him. He took us to Target and he brought the kids a little outfit at Target. And I was standing in Target waiting on him. It was a two-story Target in Los Angeles. And I was just waiting on them to do their shopping and grandpa wanted to buy my kids an outfit. And I watched this little boy, his mom's down an aisle, and this little boy came out, he was, I don't know, probably six. He came down the end of the aisle and just kind of wandered around. I was watching him, you know. He just wandered just out of sight around the edge of the... And mom's looking and looking and looking. And she whirls around, he's not there. Well, he's right there. I mean, you know, I understand the panic. I'm a daddy. I understand that, and you're in Los Angeles. And she came running down the aisle, and... She looked and there he stood. She smacked the fire out of him right across his face. Let me turn the mic to Pow! You know what that's called? It is. It's abusive. That's not correcting a child. That's not training a child. That's my anger. That's my uptightness. That's my irritability. That's my grouchiness. Did the child need help? Yes. But smacking the child across the face didn't help him. That's not Christianity. That's the way the world lives. You and I are to be gentle. You say, yeah, I had one dad say to me, yeah, but Brother Young, if I didn't get mad, I'd never train my child. I'd never spank my child. I said, if the only time you ever spank your child is when you're mad, you've never spanked him. Because spanking is not anger. It's training. Biblical spanking would be training. It would be calm. It would be gentle. The whole idea of a spanking is, son, that's wrong. And I've given you every opportunity to make it right, and you won't do it. And you've got to learn that negative behavior has negative consequences. And if a mom and dad doesn't teach their son that negative behavior has negative consequences, someday a judge will. Or a boss. It's a whole lot easier to amplify the consequences of misbehavior and correct the child in gentleness and sincerity than it is when he's 25 years old with a wife and little baby and the boss has to pull him in and said, because you're a stinking thief, you're fired. Now he doesn't have the money to pay for his house or his car or the food on the table. Now he's not going to get a job anywhere else, all because somebody failed to train. But anger's not the key. It's gentleness. That's Christianity. It's how we're to treat each other in gentleness. <sighs> Somebody cuts you off in traffic. 
Come on in. Must be in a hurry. Let them in. Come on in. Let them in. See, that's, just, that's Christianity. We're not uptight and bothered and frustrated and irritated and on edge. It's killing us in our churches. We're living like the world lives. They don't know any better, but you and I are the children of God. We are born again. We have a Bible. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the church. We're to live differently than this world. The world lives in pride. We're to have humility. The world is uptight and on edge and bothered and frustrated and irritated. And we're to live in gentleness. You respond to your spouse in gentleness. Even when they're wrong. Is your spouse ever wrong? Your spouse ever wrong? <laughs> Don't look at me that way. We're, we're Baptists. We can be honest. Of course your spouse is wrong. But you know what happens in a lot of marriages? Spouse is wrong and the other spouse gets irritated. Now two people are wrong. But if I respond in gentleness, do you ever stop and say, I know she didn't mean that. I know he didn't mean that. I know he's just having a bad day or he's a little frustrated. Instead, we bite at each other, don't we? We bite, we cut, we, we, we gouge at each other. And the fact of the matter is we're not living the Christian life. Aren't you glad you came to Sunday school to hear all this? This will help you get started. Where do I start? Well, Ephesians says here's where you get started in the calling of your life. You start with humility. You start with gentleness. And here it's going to get better. You start with patience. I told you that'd get better, didn't I? With patience. Patience is a word here. I love these picture words in our authorized version. Lowliness, lowliness. I, I, I lower myself, not arrogant and proud, and I lower myself. Humility. And I like this word, long-suffering. Long suffering. Now don't don't misuse that. Don't misuse that that little phrase there. I have an evangelist friend. He's single. He's 29. He's out of the country today. It's his birthday, and he's on the other side of the world preaching the gospel. He travels all the time outside of the country, and um, he's single. He's 29. He's single. And the guy said to him not long ago, said, uh, "Brother Self, have you ever heard of the three rings of marriage?" He said, uh, no. He said, well, there's the engagement ring and the wedding ring and the suffering. <laughs> now, that's not what he's talking about here, okay? I thought to myself, why would you say that to a single guy for crying out loud? Marriage is good and marriage is a blessing and marriage is wonderful. And here's what the Bible really is telling us. I suffer long. The idea of that word is patient. I'm patient with my children. I'm patient with my spouse. Somebody says, my kid is five years old and they're driving me crazy. Stop it. Put the brakes on. You got to 13 more years. 13 more years to patiently train that child to stop irritating everybody around them. And if your kid is five and they're still doing it, you better pick it up and get with it really fast because your time is flying. You older folks know that to be true, don't you? You blink your eyes and they're 10. Blink your eyes a couple of times and they're 15. You blink your eyes a couple of times and they're headed off to college and you're done. Your, your time of training really is over. God's idea is, if I understand the Bible, 
that with great patience in my life, I start when they're very young teaching them, give me your attention, give me your attention. Listen to my voice, give me your attention. The word is obedience. Give me your attention. When I speak, you respond. Give me your attention. If I say stop, you stop. Don't touch that. You don't touch it. You can't do that. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. I'm training. Give me your attention. Give me your attention. Once you get their attention, now that they're obedient, the next step, if I understand the Bible, is give me your heart. My son, give me thine heart, is how Solomon said it. Give me your heart. That's your thinking, your emotions, your decisions. Give me your heart. Let me take God's word. Give me your heart. I'm going to teach you how to be saved. I'm going to teach you how to live the Christian life. I'm going to teach you how to walk with God. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. Trust your daddy. Give me your heart. When my daughter met David, that's the young man that asked her to marry him last weekend. When my daughter met David and she was starting to be interested in David. She called daddy. And she's 22. And she said, daddy, you know, David and I are getting to know each other and I think he might be the one. And she said, Daddy, you've always had my heart. So if at any time you think David's not the one, you tell me. And it'll be over. You see, that didn't happen by accident. I'm not the Lord of her life. She can marry who she wants to marry. She's 22. But God helped me to get her attention when she was a little girl so that she was obedient. All I had to do was speak. Didn't have to raise my voice and yell and stomp and scream and just spoke. And she obeyed. That took a lot. I'm going to tell you how to do that later in the week. It's not easy, but you can do it. Give me your attention. Give me your heart. I'm going to teach you how to walk with God and to love God and have a sweet spirit. And really, as they start getting older, like where Jacob is now, don't, don't take this the wrong way, but it's really give me your hand. Let me take you by the hand and show you how to be the man you ought to be. Show you how to work. Show you how to respond to authority. Give me your hand. I'm just telling you, you don't do that by being irritated. If you're going to win, dads and moms and grandparents, it's going to take a lot of patience in our lives. You can't do it on your own. But you have a Bible, don't you? You have the Holy Spirit, don't you? Ask Him to help you. Here, here's where you start, with humility. Where do I start in a family revival? With humility, gentleness, patience. I got to close. We have four minutes. What's the last word in verse two? I start with love. I start with love. Because he says right here, he says, I'm to forbear one another in love. No matter what, I'm to love you. I married you. You're my wife. I'm going to put up with anything. Anything. I'll put up with anything. I will forbear in love. The word means to tolerate. I will tolerate anything because I love you. And by the way, men, for whatever it's worth, we have, a, we have a standard. God gave us men a standard of how far do you go in loving your wife. He says, here's how far you go. You only go as far as Jesus went in loving the sinner. That's all. It's all, you know, it's all you got to do. You just got to love your wife as much as Jesus loved the sinner and died for the sinner so that the sinner could be forgiven and have eternal life. That's all you got to do. That's it. That, you gotta, that's all. It's just that simple. Just love your wife as much as Christ loved the church. And ladies, he says, you know what you got to do is you got to respond to his love in submission and you got to follow him just as much as the church wants to follow Jesus. That's all. That's our standard. In other words, you and I should be madly head over heels in love with one another. We should be characterized by our love and known by our love. The Bible says, after all, doesn't it? By, for, uh, how does he say that? 
for this cause shall all men know that ye are my disciples. If you go to a fundamental Baptist church, carry a big Bible, have a big pulpit, and sing the right music. Is that what he says? Not on your life. Those are just tools. Nowhere in the Bible are you commanded to have orange pews. Or white chandeliers. Or orange and green and yellow and white stained glass. Nowhere in your Bible are you commanded to have a piano. Nowhere in your Bible are you commanded to have a choir. Nowhere in your Bible are you commanded to come in and sing choruses and hymns on a Sunday morning in church. We are to sing hymns and choruses. He doesn't say you have to sing them in church. He says you're to sing them to yourself. There's all kinds of things we do that aren't biblical. We do them because they work and because they're practical and because they're a good way to apply the Bible. But you know what he says? This is how the world will know you're my disciples. This is how the world will know. By the love you have one to another. This is how the world will know. If I'm on the job and I'm always irritated, uptight, grouchy, hard to get along with, frustrated, or even breaking the law, that's not Christianity. But if on the job everybody knows that man loves his wife, mm, does he love his wife? That's all he talks about is his wife. Every woman on your job ought to want a husband like you. Not you, but a husband like you. If she wants you, you better run. What you do is you call your wife and say, Honey, there's this woman here and I think she's after me. Give your wife your gun and just sit back and watch. <laughs> now I'm being a little silly here, but a marriage is worth fighting for, isn't it? I, I said one day, I said, I don't think a woman's ever flirted with me. And my wife goes, Oh my word, you're just too dumb to know it. <laughs> so maybe I am. Maybe I am. I, 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 I don't, I'm not aware of it. But I remember I was in one church lobby one day, and this woman, she was talking, and uh, she had me cornered. You ever been cornered by somebody? She had me cornered. And she's just talking, and as she had me cornered, she, she, she was holding on to me. She had, she had this arm, you know, and I was standing like this, and she reached out, and she had her hand here on my arm. And she's just pouring her heart out to me, just talking, 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 talking. My wife's on the other side of the church lobby. My wife had never met this lady before in her life. She glances over there, and she sees this woman has her arm, her hand on my arm, and my wife was talking to somebody, and I, I, out of the corner of my eye, I watched her. My wife was like, and she came marching across that, that lobby, and she grabbed my, you know, arm in hers, and she smiled. And she stood there, and the lady started backing off. She did. I, I mean, you know, those eyes would have made me back off too. Now, I'm, I'm being a little silly here this morning. But you ought to be known for your love for your spouse and your family and your Savior and your Bible and your God. Are you known for your love? Or are you known for your tongue? Did I just say that? <laughs> are you known for your love? Or for your intensity? Boy, that woman's intense. Boy, that guy's intense. Stay away from him. I was in Canada preaching the other day. This guy walks out Sunday night. We had a great service Sunday night. I mean, packed building, power of God was there, music was phenomenal. This guy walks out on his cane. Walked up to me and he said, took that cane, he said, let me tell you something. He said, that was the most laborious storm of words I have ever heard. And I won't be back. Put his cane down, walked out. And the pastor, 
Pastor leaned over and said, don't worry about it. He said that to me about 30 times. <laughs> well, that's a terrible thing to be known for. I'm to be known for my humility, my gentleness, my patience, my love, and my peace. Is there peace in your home, in your marriage? You can be as practical about that as you want to be, and I've got to close. We're going to have the choir go practice. Is there peace in your life? In your life? You at peace? Are you frustrated on edge, irritated all the time, uptight? Or are you at peace? Did you ever see that movie, War Room? It's a Christian movie, so it's okay, right? There's an African-American older lady on that war room, and she's one of my favorite people in all the world. I wish I could get to know her. And this guy tries to rob her, pulls a knife on her, and she says, you put that away in the name of Jesus. Start on him, you put it down. You ought to watch the movie, War Room. If you've never seen it, you ought to get it and you ought to watch it. It's worth watching. And she's sitting on a park bench and these two police officers are interviewing her about this. And the girl she's with is eating ice cream. But after having a knife pulled on her, she can't eat her ice cream. And this older lady, she's sitting here, she was like, you going to eat that, sweetie? And I said, no, I can't eat that. I'm not. And she said, hand it here. Good ice cream should never go to waste. And he just calmly eats ice cream. You know, there's a real sense in life in which if I'm going to be the Christian I ought to be, I should be able to just calmly eat ice cream. Not known for being uptight. Peace. Peace is essential. Some of you don't have it. You're a child of God on your way to heaven and there's no peace in your life and there's no peace in your heart and there's no peace in your mind and there's no peace in your family and there's no peace in your home. Turn off your television. That'll get you started in a, in a good direction. It's hard to have peace in your life with all the garbage of the world flowing into our home nonstop. It's not wrong to know the news and know the weather, though you could do without both. If you never one time ever in your life again saw the news, you'd be happier. You could die happy, having no idea what's going on in the world. You see this great? You say, well, I need the weather. I need the weather. No, you don't. Look outside. It's going to be a little cool today, and the wind's going to blow, and it's going to be sunny. I already figured it out. Didn't even look at the news today or the weather. But I know. I can tell. You know, you and I are so uptight and bothered. I got to close. Where do you start? Where do you start? You start in these two verses with humility and gentleness and patience and love and peace. Some of you need to start there today. You need to get there because you're not there. And you're hurting your Christianity. And God has a better plan for you. And some of you don't have that in your home. And it's time to change it. It's time to get on your knees. And I'll give an invitation in the next service. And you walk down an aisle. Maybe you haven't knelt in years. Walk down an aisle this morning. Have an old-fashioned revival in your heart and say, God, I need, I need to get started. I've lost my love and my peace. I'm not patient and gentle and humble anymore. And I'm ashamed of that. And I need to change. God, I need to change. You know what? You get started there. You'll be a happier Christian. Everybody around you will be happier. You'll have a happier marriage and a happier family. And that's God's plan for you. Have I made sense this morning in Sunday school? You've been a good audience. I know you don't know me and I don't know you. And I'm looking forward to serving with you this week. I hope you'll come to every service. Come to every service. I won't preach too long. I don't think I've ever preached over two hours. So it won't be long services. I'm being silly, of course. But would you come to every service? See, I've never done that. Then it's time to change it, aren't 
Aren't you a Christian? Don't you want God to work in your heart? Come to every service. Bring somebody with you to every service. Bring somebody with you. You know churches all over Roanoke, Virginia. So you got Christians that go to other churches that need help in their marriage and their family. Get them here. But respond in every service, would you? Respond in every service.